Welcome to the Excel Still More podcast. I am your host, Chris Emerson. I'm here to encourage you in your walk with God. Thank you for joining in. Today's podcast is sponsored by Cunningham Financial Group. John Cunningham is a friend of mine and a brother in Christ, and he can help you with financial decisions and future planning. He's been a big help to me and my family, and I commend him to you. You can reach him at 205-913-1720. I am so thankful you're here, so let's get started. Hey, welcome back. I hope that your day is going well. Mine certainly is. It's Saturday, October 22nd, just two days before the episode releases. It is a beautiful fall day here in Lindale, and I'm up at the church building practicing the wedding sermon, or at least today's wedding sermon. In a couple of hours, I'll be heading one town over to officiate the union of two people that we know and love, Bo Barnes, who lives up in the Little Rock area, and Hannah Holt, who with her family, David and Wendy and Jaden, are very special to us here in Lindale. So we're excited about all of that, and I'm just up here practicing what I'm going to say. Over the last few years, I've stopped using notes when preaching at weddings, which kind of helps me focus on just the few things that I really want to say and keeps it all shorter overall. I just have to keep my phone in my back pocket with the vows and pull it out at the right time. You know, you kind of have to get all of that correct. But what all that means for me is practice. I come up here and I just say some things out loud, which is kind of an important preacher tip in general, maybe. Before you make other people hear it out loud, it's probably a good idea if you do that first. So I was working through the things that I wanted to say, and I thought, you know what? I'd like to tell everybody about this. I thought you might enjoy hearing some basic ideas that can set this young couple headed in the right direction, and have really been some secrets that have benefited Summer and me for almost 25 years. I understand that while I'm talking to you today, there is a wider audience listening, some of whom are young and unmarried or newlyweds, and I hope that you'll listen carefully. Most of us are married and have probably been so for a while, but I am interested to know how optimistic you are about how things are and what wonderful things you see coming in your home in the near future. And then, of course, there's someone listening who is either no longer married or has no intent to ever be. And if you continue to listen through the rest of this episode, I pray that God puts someone in your life this week who might benefit from this information, and God will give you the courage to share it. So here's how I'm going to start. I don't want to oversell it, but marriage is awesome. At least it has this great potential to be awesome. Optimism about what is possible when you take two people who love each other and you bring them together to become one to share their life together, to be a support to one another, especially when wrapped in the arms of the Lord, ought to be a positive picture of hope that puts a smile on their faces. And I really hope that's the way you feel about marriage and even your own. I know that no one is perfect and there are lots of issues that have to be worked through, but when God built marriage, he built an incredible thing. Really, it's this incredible early answer to some of life's most pressing questions. If you're wondering, how do I cope with the feeling of being alone? In Genesis 1, that is the position Adam was in, and so God built a woman for him. 
someone who was like him in certain ways and the opposite of him in others, so that they could truly be complete. When does life go from good to very good? Well, during the creation week, God kept making things and saying at the end of the day, that's good. But on the last day when he made Adam and Eve and marriage, he said, now that is very good. Now again, I'm fully aware that that may not be the way you look at marriage in general or your own. But at some point, a road to better starts with hope for better things. The expectation that things can be very good in your home with just a few basic God-given principles. In fact, the Bible pictures marriage as a reward. What is among the greatest rewards of your life under the sun? Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes, it is the wife of your youth. During those years where you can pour attention into each other and build something together, this can become the greatest reward of your life and everything else be built around it. Solomon was so stoked about this that he married 700 women, which I certainly do not advise. But it is interesting that even spread so widely, he considered it to be a reward. And I don't want to get sappy or anything, but I was thinking today about pouring all of that attention into just one woman, connecting with her, giving and receiving and uniting and building. What an amazing and concentrated reward that can be. So this brings up a very logical and important question. How do we build something like that? How do two newlyweds, Hannah and Bo, start this thing great and just watch it get greater with every passing year? If your marriage is nowhere near the reward that God wants it to be, how do you rekindle some of that, start a fire again, and build something bright? Well, let me suggest something that can help. Hannah and Bo went back and listened to three podcast episodes from 2021, and we did a Zoom call or two and walked through it together. The details will not be in the wedding today. They're going to get a nice short one, and they won't be in this episode either. But I would encourage you to go back in the episode files to April of 2021 and listen to Mirror and Triangle, Strategy and Secret, and Myth and Passage. That represents six super secrets to a better home. It ranges from self-evaluation, to the pursuit of God, to the power of you two against the world, the great secret of quality time, the ridiculous myth of separation somehow binding you closer together, and then, of course, the most powerful passage of all for marriage and really every relationship, 1 Peter 3, verses 8 through 12. Okay, I can't help myself. I need to read that for you, and then I promise we'll get to what's in the wedding sermon. 1 Peter 3.8, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead, for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. The text is indicating that those qualities will help every relationship that you have, but they're in the context of 1 Peter 3 about husbands and wives. 
Anyway, if you have any extra time this week and you want to work on what you're building in your home, head back to April 2021 and pick those up. As for the wedding, I'll be officiating in just a little while. I only have three simple things I want to share with them. First of all, you must let God govern this thing. God knows how to build things. He builds them strong and he builds them beautiful. When we depart from God's design for anything, that thing becomes instantly weaker and less perfect than it was designed to be. The challenge here, of course, is that a marriage is the sum of two individuals who each have to make this decision, or at least one of them, for a difference to occur. Each person must decide, I have been made by God to pursue the course that he has laid out to let Jesus guide my attitude, my conduct, and the direction of my life. And to the extent that I decide that God's way is best, everything gets better. Our society has basically thrown out the rule books on marriage. The idea of a wife submitting herself to the leadership of a husband is demeaning to her. But in truth, God knows that husbands need that support and that wives are uniquely gifted by design to show the beauty of their strength in the way that they can uplift and empower a man. God's instruction to men is to care for a wife like Christ does the church, to try to present her pure and undefiled before the Lord, to sacrifice his own will for those to whom he has been given care. This isn't about stifling a man's freedom. It's about giving him a purpose bigger than himself. And of course, this is where the world has lost its way. Everyone is taught to be out for themselves, which may sound exciting in the moment, but it is the complete antithesis of Jesus who built something that lasted because he understood that while it would be difficult and demand self-denial, God knows how to build enduring and beautiful things, and especially relationships. I will probably mention the triangle today in the wedding for just a moment about how the devil will do everything in his power, the world will do everything in its power to throw things in between this man and his wife, to create a chasm, to create distance, to pile things up so they can't see each other anymore. Some people's marriages are built that way. In fact, it seems like that's the only thing that holds it together. But of course, they're not really together. Where can they find one another? With the triangle, we talk about him the man pursuing closeness to God. Draw in to the teachings of the Lord and give your life to him. We talk about the wife doing the same thing. It's somewhat independent of each other, and yet in the triangle, as each one draws closer to God, they draw closer together. I think of the triangle standing upwards, where as you draw towards God, you lift above the things of the world that were in between you, and maybe for the first time in a long time, you can truly see each other above the distractions of this world, and hopefully you can share a smile. All right, so the second thing I want to talk to them about is something that they've heard many times. You must enter this relationship with a sense of absolute permanence. This is a lifelong endeavor. As two Christians, they won't make the mistake of entering into this as a see-how-it-goes venture. They're certainly not going to try marriage on for a few years and reevaluate. So in a sense, telling them that this is a lifelong commitment is pretty obvious. But I think there's a little more to it than just, we're in this for good. 
I mean, I've been preaching long enough to tell you that there are people who are Christians, who go to great churches, and who are going to stick out their marriage to the end for the sake of heaven and hell, but who are effectively no longer one flesh. Yeah, they live together, and for the most part, they fulfill their responsibilities to each other. But the two are no longer one. They're just kind of working the biblical system to stay right with God, or at least they perceive to be right with God. Marriage is about more than a commitment for life. It's about two becoming one. I use the Play-Doh illustration about blue, Play-Doh, and pink, and you don't just stick them together and keep them together no matter what. You give them to a child who mixes the colors, and before long, you have a brand new, inseparable oneness color, like blue or blink or something. There is no longer Bo Barnes over here and Hannah Holt over there. They'll still have their functional independence and stuff, but everything they are and do, and in every way that they fulfill purpose for their lives, will be as one, dead to any life that is not with one another, building everything that is good intentionally on the God-designed power of who they are as one. I'll probably mention each of their baptisms, the day that they decided that the true life of glory was not lived on your own, but only after you had ended a life alone and united it permanently with Christ, walking every day in connection with Christ not fighting the old life of selfishness to try to stay close to Christ, but having ended that former life, all there is now is me and Jesus. And if the two of them can see their marriage that way, there'll never be an attempt to be two separate people living in the same house because the two of them separate is gone. And whatever course they pursue to handle problems, and there will be problems, will be based upon the only option available to them. We will do this together because we will always be together. Sadly, this has not been everyone's story. Some are no longer in a marriage, and recovery is not an option for whatever reason. But that doesn't mean that newlyweds should ever give up on the ideal. And if you are in a marriage right now, no matter its condition, you are not one of those cases. So let's get our eyes set back on what is and the potential that God promises still exists in your home. So the third and final thing that I want to share with them and you is that there is a way to measure your progress. And there is also a very simple approach to making things better. It's three words, and it's really easy to say. The secret to a strong and beautiful and rewarding marriage is love, love, and love. And I'm not just repeating the same word. Well, I guess literally I did. But in terms of scripture, love falls into three distinct categories when it comes to interpersonal relationships. And I promise this has nothing to do with Greek words for love, which are all basically interchangeable to me. But God describes love in three distinct categories. Caring love, romantic love, and sexual love. The first thing about that I would say is that marriage is the one unique relationship on earth where you can enjoy all three types of love concentrated on one person and it be right with God and reap tremendous blessings 
for your life. Let me detail each one of those for a minute or two. Caring love is just common consideration and care for another person. It's like brotherly love. You love someone because they are your brother in Christ, because they are a neighbor, because God made them. Jesus said to even care for and pray for and want the best for your enemies. I wish I could tell you that all marriages instinctively flourished in caring love because you're supposed to be that way with everyone and because God has cared so much for you, but I think we both know that's not always the case. Admittedly, I cannot figure that out. Why is it that we're often the least caring with the people who are closest to us, the people who we know or at least predict will be with every day until the end of our lives? Why wouldn't we invest more kindness and consideration into that? The second category is romantic love, which is not sexual in nature, but it's certainly more than common care. It is about making someone feel special, making them feel attractive, making them feel like they are unique to you among everyone else who is alive. We commonly reference the story of Jacob and Rachel and Leah from the Old Testament. Leah had Jacob's caring love. She had a roof over her head. She had children, so there was physical love. But the text said she felt unloved. She didn't feel special. She knew that he loved her sister more than her. And God saw that and had compassion on her. Romantic love is about expressing to this person in your life that they are the single most important relationship that you have. And if you had every other choice on the planet, you would still choose them. This can be conveyed by romantic terminology, flowers, a Diet Coke, or just a smile in a crowded room. The third kind of love is physical or sexual love. The Bible talks about sharing your bodies with one another in marriage. It talks about not depriving one another, but trusting each other with your bodies, which demands responsibility on both parties to make that a healthy and enjoyable exchange. I'm out of time today, but I could talk about pornography and other things and how it has distorted and nearly destroyed the trust that ought to exist when sharing your body with another. But it is important to devote yourself to not only the sharing of your bodies, but the quality of that interaction, and communication can help. Anyway, it can be very healthy to look at your marriage as three separate categories. Don't get them mixed together. Men think that sexual love and romantic love is the same thing. It is not. One spouse may think that an excessive amount of care can make up for the lack of something else. It cannot. Maybe I'll detail this in future episodes, but for now, think of them distinctly and consider how you can contribute in your marriage to love, love, and love. I certainly hope these principles have been beneficial for you. I'd love to say more, but time's up. I need to go put on my suit, head to Mineola, and preach the wedding sermon. Thank you so much for joining in today. If you enjoyed this program, consider sharing it with your family and your friends. And if you're just in search of deeper Bible study or you want to share the message of Jesus with the children in your life, remember to go to creationtorevelation.com. This wonderful company run by Christians provides beautiful illustrations of Scripture from beginning to end, putting the spotlight on Jesus. And remember this, whatever you choose to do today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, excel still more.